You're listening to Kitchen Table Finance. Join Dave Shotwell and Nick Nauta as they cut through the complexity of financial planning and serve bites of investment advice that are both personal and practical. Hey, Dave, how are you doing today? I am doing great, Nick. How are you? Doing very well. Thank you, sir. Another uh, podcast day is upon us. Yeah. Excited about that. Uh, beautiful day outside and somebody's got a big birthday tomorrow. So I won't really. Say yeah. Much, yeah. But- <laughs> well, it's not me. And so by process of elimination, I think our listeners can probably figure it out. But that's uh, right. You know what? Take the day off tomorrow. Then. <laughs> I will absolutely do that. And, Monday, right. well, and Monday too. How's Good. that? <laughs> that sounds like a blast. You know what? Just in your honor and in the honor of all working people everywhere, I'm going to take Monday off as well. Perfect. All right. I love it. So um, we have an interesting topic today, Dave, um, coming from an article that we read a couple of weeks ago. Maybe this week. I don't know. I'm getting old. I'm forgetting things. It was over the weekend. <laughs> so yeah, I, I absolutely love it when folks that I consider like the good, the good financial press and with larger, well-established organizations say the things that if I was in their position, they're the things I'd want to say to and things I'd like to talk about. So I thought this was pretty cool. This is... Uh, from Christine Benz. She's the um, personal finance writer for, uh, for Morningstar's website. And uh, yeah, great. Yeah. So. And she actually, I think co-hosts a podcast as well <laughs> with Morningstar. So I don't remember Dave. I know we did that list once upon a time and I don't think she was on it, but I think she should be. <laughs> you know, they, she was on there for, uh, for blogs that I read. But I don't think I've, I've n- I have not listened to her podcast. I have so many too many podcasts in rotation right now. So uh, I, I, haven't, I haven't listened to her. So so anyway, her article last weekend was talking about what she calls her too hard pile. That's right. So she it's kind of something that she stole from a, a couple of gentlemen that are big that we're big fans of, right, Mister Munger, right. Mister Buffett. Yeah, yeah. Good old Charlie Munger, my uh, my favorite fellow Michigan uh, attendee. I don't think he actually graduated, <laughs> but uh, you know he and he and Warren Buffett are buddies, and they are the uh, they're kind of like like people climb the mountain to listen to them speak about their investments, and for good reasons. Yeah, and. Uh, so she borrowed this idea from him and she quotes him as saying, uh, or him and Warren Buffett talking about having three boxes, like inboxes, an in inbox, an outbox, and a too hard box, too hard pile for investment ideas. Yeah. And and they go on to say you don't have to do everything well, right? At the Olympics, if you run the hundred meters well, you don't have to do the shot put, Warren Buffett said. When he yeah. was talking about this idea, <laughs> so what he was getting at, you know, out of context, it just sounds like an old guy talking. But what he was, what he was getting at in the conversation was that when people, you know, they get new investment ideas all the time, and yeah. they just basically sort them out right away into the good ones, the the ones they the ones they understand and like, the ones they understand and don't like, and the ones that just are not things they want to waste their time trying to figure out because they're too complicated. They're not right for them. I find that super intriguing because, you know, I think of those two guys and like, yeah, I don't, I just assume that they don't like, they understand all investments, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. If anybody doesn't need a too hard pile, I would think <laughs> you, it was you think the two of them. And, and Charlie, <laughs> yeah. right. right, right. So, so they, uh, you know, they basically, if, if something's too hard to wrap their very sage brains around right away, they just move it into the too hard pile and say, next. There's always yeah. a better idea that they can understand and move forward with. Which served them well, right? I remember right. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. famously in the 90s, uh, late 90s, when the tech boom was going on and Warren just wasn't comfortable with a lot of, uh, a lot yeah. of you know, websites and companies that were coming up and just kind of put it in the too hard pile and yeah. served them really well. Turned yeah, out. right, right. Yeah, it did. he looked, looked like he was getting left in the dust there for a little while in 1998, 1999. But uh, by 2001, he looked pretty darn smart. So, so anyway, Christine Benz takes this idea and rather than just applying it to complicated investments, although that is part of what she has to say, she applies it to just like personal finance in general and yeah. how she approaches her um, her own portfolio and her own decision-making. And part of what I like about Christine is here she is in this position where I'm sure she's very, very smart and has all these resources at her hands, but she's very honest about her own approaches and mistakes mm-hmm. over over time. So, so in her two hard pile, she includes individual stocks mm-hmm. because all of the analysis you have to do, you know, setting aside for a minute, all the, all the research we've seen and, and talked about before about how buying individual stocks just adds risk to the portfolio, not necessarily any return, but she just looks at it and says, you know what? I don't want to spend all my time going over somebody's uh, quarterly earnings estimates to understand them. Which I thought was, you know, super honest and and mm-hmm. for somebody from Morningstar who's like in the business, it makes sense. But right, you know, yeah. that's a full time job, and you know, she's just not willing to it. Like most people, invest the time into it to understanding it, and so therefore, it kind of goes into the too hard pile. Yeah, and and then you know, building on that, she also includes analyzing actively managed mutual funds for her portfolio. And yeah, yeah for somebody from Morningstar, like I'd be afraid that the boss coming down and knocking on my door if, if I was to say that at Morningstar. Right. That's kind of their their bread and butter is analyzing active mutual funds. But she's basically like, you know what? I don't want to spend my time figuring out alpha betas and you know yeah. correlations and. All I know is that uh, index funds get the job done and I don't have to uh, spend as much time analyzing them. She built on that. She had a little sub comment on that. She does hold some actively managed mutual funds from Vanguard, which Mm -hmm. Vanguard's known for their index funds, but they do have a few, few actively managed funds as well. Because she basically has learned over time that they do a good job and she doesn't have to do a lot of work if she sticks right. with, with those particular funds. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that either, right? She decided like what level of analysis yeah. she wanted to be responsible for and is comfortable delegating the rest of it. Right. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, if, when you think of the world of mutual funds, if you are actually going to analyze, there's just so many funds and so many different strategies. And again, like the individual stocks, it's become like a full-time job to go out and try to do that on your own. And she talked about uh, leverage, leveraged investments and uh, mm-hmm. how that just complicates things. And she said, she had a comment in there that reminded me of uh, Morgan Housel, who we've talked about before too, where she basically said, you know, I, I understand that if I used leverage in my portfolio or borrowed against my investments, I may, you know, I may do better on paper, but I'm never going to get over the how good it feels to not have that debt. Right. 
And so it's just not worth the effort that it would take to do the analysis for me because I know it's always going to bother me. So the the last one that she had mentioned was market timing and, and she kind of framed it in the world of rebalancing. Um, but I, I kind of took it to be more of a, you know, having a, having an annual rebalance is one thing, trying to figure out the exact right time to rebalance your portfolio right. more towards market timing and, and trying to get that right. Right. Trying to predict that. Right. Well, and she talked to, she talked about her friend who works with an advisor like us who mm-hmm. talks about the, you know, some of the value that they deliver is rebalancing. Well, that, I, I think that's true as a risk management tool. It's, it's a good approach. Would I recommend that an individual investor get too caught up in rebalancing? Probably not because it's going to overcomplicate things. And then they're right. not going to, then it's, it's more likely to lead to no action than the right actions. We've got really fancy, expensive software to do it. Right. So, you know, it, it doesn't go in my too hard pile because we've got the right machinery in place, but that's different than if I was on my own, you know, and rebalancing and the ins and outs and the pros and cons and all the research behind it would take a whole nother podcast. But, uh, but I, but I thought that was pretty interesting that she just basically, she, she does rebalance occasionally, but not religiously like you might expect. So on the flip side of the coin, so that was kind of her investing to hard pile, but she also wrote another article and we'll throw these in the show notes as well if if people are interested, but she wrote one on her to hard pile for financial information. Yeah, I love this because I've, I've often thought that by and large, most individual investors that we talk to focus on the wrong stuff. Yeah. You know, hundred um, percent. When I yeah. read this article, I thought of you because it's like a lot of the stuff that she was saying is the same things that you say to clients all the time. Yeah, like just turn that <laughs> off, ignore that. That's not going to change your life. It's not. Right. That's not. That's not the important thing taking up room in your brain. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. So individual economic data points, like like mm-hmm. knowing exactly what the CPI numbers are and you know what the expectations are. You could. You could you could crowd out every other fun, important thing in your brain trying to keep track of what's going on in the American economy, let alone the yeah. global economy. Absolutely. And kind of her point was they're, they're really kind of useless unless you like use them in a group and start like looking at long-term average trends, but yeah. just one individual economic data point, which is interesting because with inflation being so prevalent, it seems like mm-hmm. everybody's holding their breath every time the new CPI number comes out or, well, you know, the new labor number. And it's like, it's one point in a long set of of, yeah. of data points. Yeah. Right? Well, we talk about like, what does it mean to you? And any one of those numbers or all of them collectively, either way you want to look at it, if you subscribe to the idea that the market is largely efficient, meaning mm-hmm. the market has already reacted to the CPI news by the time I read the number, even if I'm you know right there at 9, 8.30 on the third Wednesday every morning ready, ready for it. Right. What difference does it make? It's just another, it might explain what happened but right. it doesn't tell me what's going to happen next. So, yeah. you know, the, the bigger picture is you've got to make those decisions beforehand. And really it all boils down to, do you take risk or do you not take risk? And how much right. risk do you take? Because right. if you're going to try to guess what the inflation number is going to be next week when it comes out and how your mark, your stock's going to react to that, you're going to drive yourself crazy. 
Her, her next bullet point here, Dave, was short-term market forecasts. And, and this is kind of funny because we've, you know, we have our prediction <laughs> podcast every year and we, we've looked at like these um, one-year numbers as in kind yeah. of in jest. I'm really looking they're... forward to January <laughs> this year. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a bloodbath. <laughs> but, um, but it, you know, it's just so true because, you know, A, none of these people really know what's going to happen. And it's kind of like a fun exercise. They all put them out, but it's really at the end of the day, is pretty useless, right? <laughs> and then the next one that she had, it, it kind of in the same vein is, is short-term market news, right? Like yeah. what's happening with the market today? And and she oh. actually went on and said that, you know, she very rarely checks, you know, what's happened day over day in the market. Right. Right? Like she's not like, she doesn't know where the Dow or the, where the S&P 500 ended every day. Occasionally she'll go in and see how things are doing year to date. Um, but probably yeah. less often than what most people probably think or, or are actively doing. So about once a week, a client says something to me along the lines of, well, I'm sure you watched MSNBC last night and saw this. And I'm always, and I'm always like, no, no, I haven't watched MSNBC. I, I don't pay attention. I don't care what Jim Cramer's doing. I don't care what Squawk Box had to say. Right. Um, but it, it, as a side note, I'm on the road right now, hotel mm-hmm. rooms last night. And so, yeah, I watched a little bit of MSNBC, about 25 minutes of it, and I was ready to throw my pillow at the TV (laughs) and I turned it back off and reminded myself why I don't pay attention to the financial pornography. So anyway, yeah, yeah. Kind of of surprised you made it 25 minutes, to be honest. (laughs) It was was more out of like curiosity. Uh, It's like like when you're watching a horror movie, you know? Right. And and you're not really, nobody's really enjoying it, right? But but you got to see what's going to happen next. What are they going to say? What's, you know, where's this going to lead? And individual stock news and tips, falls into the same category, right? Do you have time right. to research every little thing that your neighbor tells you about like what's going to happen with GM stock when the new Corvette comes out? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Or, what's, or what's the next, you know, hot stock? Like what's your right. hot stock tip? And right. I'm sure right. like myself, you get a lot of those questions. Like, should, we buy, should we be buying AI stocks right now? That's right. been the hottest yeah. thing. Two years ago, it was which marijuana stock should we be buying? <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, and, and at the end of the day, you know, the market's going to sort all that out and right. it will be what it will be. So true. And and one thing that I would kind of add to this as well is checking your own financial information, right? Like mm-hmm. it's one thing to check the market. It's another thing to like check your portfolio balance every day. Like that's a recipe to drive yourself crazy. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like I, I check my clients' values a lot yeah. more often than my own. I maybe go into my own accounts once yeah. a year. Maybe, and yeah. then, but you know, clients obviously we're checking more regularly. But it's just one of the like you can't control it. It's not going to help you to know what's happening. Mm-hmm. So you know, kind of try to limit yourself in terms of your own portfolio news, right? Yeah, I just had I just had another podcast idea, um, but we'll we'll come back to that later. So in the world of personal finance, right? There's there's some things that just belong on the too hard pile, you know. I, if if you can't explain to me how a financial how your investment strategy works in like three bullet points, mm-hmm. you need to move on. 
you know? Yeah. And I used to play, like, it, it, this hasn't happened in a while, but it used to be fairly common for somebody to come in and say, well, I was talking to so-and-so at such and such life insurance company, and here's this strategy where we're going to use life insurance to, um, you know, accomplish all these things. And, you know, I, I would basically, and I, I kind of knew where it was going to go, but I would be like, okay, you know, let, explain it to me. Well, I, you know, I can't really, I, I don't right. want to know all the details. Well, okay, then, you know, maybe, maybe that should go on your two heart pile. Well, you know, in life insurance in general, permanent life insurance has gotten so much more complex mm-hmm. these last, you know, 10, 15 years. Like a term policy, everybody can explain a term policy. Right. A whole right. life policy, probably most people can explain. But once you start getting into universal life and variable and like right. those things are super complex. Right. And usually they're more complex than what they're worth in terms of, and I'm not saying that in, you know, in general, there's certain ways that those products make sense, mm-hmm. but it's a much smaller percentage than people probably want to believe. Right. Right. And I, you know, I would never sign up for a complex life insurance policy unless I completely understood exactly how it worked and also what it's going to do for me, which is probably why I'll never have a permanent life insurance policy as a part of my overall plan. Right. (laughs) Well, I like to think maybe we're, we're kind of like Charlie and and Warren in the, in that sense, we, we know enough just to not even, not even give that stuff the, right. The airing that uh, other people might, you know, our inboxes get bombed daily with, complex investment strategies. Somebody's got a new leverage, double protection. Oh yeah. You know, this, you know, what if your clients, what do your clients want all the upside of the market with none of the risk? Right. And it just doesn't, (laughs) it just isn't going to work. Right. Yep. And so in that same vein, along with those investment strategies, annuities can also get super Mm -hmm. complex, right? Like, yeah. If you there's a big difference between buying an immediate annuity, which is pretty plain vanilla, you, mm-hmm. you set it, you give a chunk of money to the insurance company, they give you a monthly payment for as long as you're yeah. alive. Yeah. Versus the index and the variable policies right. that have lifetime income riders and that stuff just kind of adds on the complexity. Every one of those complexities that is added. And this is the same with life insurance, which life insurance and annuities are basically insurance contracts that are the opposite of each other, you know, that are meant to solve opposite problems. But every one of those complex things that gets layered onto an annuity or a life insurance policy is basically just the insurance company trying to solve for some objection to the basics. And at the end of the day, if you don't need the basics that underlie the premise of an annuity or a life insurance policy. You don't need the complicated version that's just meant to like obscure the facts and make it more palatable to you. Well, because, you know, essentially what the insurance company is doing is they're taking your money and investing it mm-hmm. and then building in their profit and then giving you what's left over. So it's never going to be better than you just going right. out and investing right. it similarly yourself. And, and that's not to say there's not a role for insurance or a role for mm-hmm. annuities. It's, oh, just, yeah. it's just that the layers of complexity that obscure the facts really that's all they're doing. You're usually going to be better off with either a term life policy or an immediate annuity if what you need is guaranteed income or a death benefit. Everything else is window dressing. 
another one. <laughs> we'll, we'll get off. We'll get off that topic because yeah. we can go on for a while. Although we do have on our list of future podcasts to talk in depth about annuities. So yeah, uh, if that's something our listeners are are interested in, that one will be coming out here in the near future. So I threw this one on the list as well as in terms of personal finance, Dave, and that's just some of these certain estate planning strategies mm-hmm. can get very complicated. And I'm not saying that they don't have a role, but again, going back to like, what are your ultimate goals, right? Like mm-hmm. if you've got two kids and you just want all your money to go to your kids, you probably don't need a complex estate plan in right. order to accomplish that, right? We're not saying, you know, don't go to an attorney and make sure you've got things set up the way that you want. But sometimes really what you need can be accomplished with beneficiary forms and yeah. you know in terms of in terms of how your assets flow after and a good estate planning attorney will tell you exactly that right they they'll tell you what the pros and cons are and why you might be okay with just a will and beneficiaries yeah. versus hey if you're trying to do this you really need a trust but also there's some very complex trusts and you know we yeah. can ratchet up the complexity real easily. So, you know, if you're in a meeting with an estate planning attorney and they're automatically trying to sell you a complex trust that you don't understand, get a second opinion, please. Right. (laughs) There's a lot of information. I I had someone the other day ask me about charitable remainder trusts. Mm -hmm. And it was like, like, like I, it was like, why are we even having this conversation? Yeah, you know, because it, there was just no way, and I, I mean, I guess, I, and it's not fair. I mean, I knew there was no reason for us to even consider that for this particular case, but the client didn't. And so, right. but you know, all that information was out there, and and she had pulled a bunch of research, thinking maybe this was something she wanted to do, and it was like, no, we can, you can do the, you can, you can do the things you're trying to do without, in your situation, going through all these complex hoops. Right. And adding that complexity to the situation for sure. So another thing I threw down on the personal finance too hard pile is the, I like to call them the all or none tax strategies, right? Like there's books out there that tell you, Hey, you should move everything to Roth IRAs and life insurance because the government's going to come in and they're going to, you know, basically eat away your entire savings with taxes because you're in a pre-tax, you know, IRA. And it's just not necessarily the case. And it adds complexity, but also it doesn't make a whole lot of sense in terms of like how the real world actually works. Right. And also we're making a decision based on the current tax law. And I will guarantee you that the tax law will not be the same for the remainder of time. Right. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that, that's always been a pet peeve of mine. Like we used to get that from like wholesalers. Yeah. Like, like, Oh, you should be like, like implying that we should be moving all of our clients, IRA money to Roth IRAs. Right. All the time. Yeah. And it's like all the money, all the time, all the taxes, just like diversifying how we invest our clients' money. A lot of times we have to diversify the risks of different tax scenarios for them because we don't know what the future is going to hold. Right. I love it, but I love it when my 80-year-olds have some money in Roth and some money in after-tax accounts and some money in traditional IRAs because then we know whatever whatever comes, we've got some 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 levers we can pull. Yeah. So if they had all Roth, well, that 
you know, yeah, you're right. We never have to think about taxes and during retirement, but boy, those accounts probably could be bigger depending on what, you know, how much right. tax you paid when you created the Roth. Yeah. So yeah, there's, there's a lot to it, I guess, job security, right? We shouldn't complain, but yeah. Uh, Right. But yeah, yeah. People come in with that idea that it's all or nothing. It's never that that easy. So the the last thing that I wrote down as a too hard is I put college planning because we see a lot of it in terms of. For actually, it looks like you wrote this one. Down, I, just I in added. Terms of, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. You you had put college planning, and I think I I put what I think is where you're going next with the clarifying comment here. Yeah. So uh, you know, trying to qualify for aid through what's yeah. called the FAFSA, the, the yeah. free application for federal student aid, yeah. trying to qualify for grants. And so a big driver of that is obviously income and assets. And so we see a yeah. lot of crazy strategies to like, well, and the, and the reason is, you know, the less money you have, the more money that you potentially get for college right. for your kids, right. right? So, you know, you're, in, you're trying to make yourself look poor and that usually is never a good way to go about. Like, it's not a good financial strategy to try to do that so that you can have, you know, a little bit more college grant money. Folks jump through all these, all these complicated hoops and it rarely helps them. Right. That's that, and that's the part that, that they miss when they're, when their kids a freshman or a sophomore in high school is you're basically going to make yourself poor on paper when what the federal or uh, federal aid structure is all about is, is driven by parents' income for the most part. Right. Yeah. The biggest so, portion. So yes, you know, it, it makes a difference, but it doesn't usually get you out. It doesn't make the difference between not having to pay for college. And then you've got to find a way to get access to that money that you, that you locked up in, in a complicated strategy. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we didn't touch on it, but also, you know, we see that a lot in Medicaid planning as yes. well, right? Like, yeah. hey, I got to yeah. give this money away because if I need to go into yes. the nursing home, well, then they're going to, you know, take it. They're going to make me spend it on my care. Yeah. Usually the words are the government's going to take it from me, which is right. not necessarily care. You have to spend it, on, to your spend care it first. on your care. Right. So uh, we see all these crazy gifting strategies. And yes. it's just like, if you would have taken that money and, and, used it to in, to increase your health you you yeah. know you probably would have been better off instead yeah. you make yourself look poor and you end up doing being the poor. thing that you wanted yeah. to that you wanted to avoid yeah. right yeah live, live like a pauper to avoid being a pauper so, you know circling back if it if it's a complicated strategy that you can't explain very easily or seems too good to be true it probably just belongs in the too hard yeah, and I, and I guess the best advice that I would give clients or or not clients and you know people out there is if you're not you know don't be afraid to tell whoever it is that you're working with that you don't understand it right mm-hmm. and and don't be afraid to not do something because you don't understand it. What we see a lot of times is people get into these situations because somebody that they perceived as, you know, smarter than them or knew what they were doing, sold them something that mm-hmm. they didn't really understand only to come to find out a couple of years later that A, that person probably didn't understand it either. And mm-hmm. B, it really wasn't the right move for them, but they did it just because they felt like they didn't, you know, right. they, they weren't smart enough or whoever it was that was selling it to them knew what they were doing. Right. Right. So sure. a lot of people get in trouble that way. So don't, 
be afraid to ask questions, say you don't understand it, get a second opinion, or just walk away from something because you don't understand it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, all right, Dave. Uh, if our listeners have anything that they would add that's in their too hard pile, we would love to hear it. Shoot us an email at info at srbadvisors.com. Um, we'll put these articles in the show notes and uh, look for our upcoming uh, annuity podcast here in the near future, right? Okay. Sounds good, Nick. Thanks, Dave. Take care. Gather around and follow the Kitchen Table Finance Podcast to learn about money and simple ways you can invest right now. You can find more practical advice at srbadvisors.com and contact the team for personal planning by emailing info at srbadvisors.com.